O risen Christ, God's living word to us, we pray, draw near. Come, speak the truth that cleanses sin with love that conquers fear. Lord Jesus, we want to know you more personally and intimately. Show us more of who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In this Epiphany Season sermon series, we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And we're taking a look at different stories from his life and his ministry, looking for case evidence that demonstrates who Jesus really is. We've seen that at one point, Foreign officials, wise men from the faraway land of Persia, actually traveled a long distance to come and worship him when he was just a young boy. We saw that at his baptism, Jesus received some rather profound affirmations from none less than God the Father himself. We saw that Jesus went to a wedding in Cana and turned water into wine, and not just any wine, but the very best wine. Who does that? And last week we heard Jesus claim that the prophetic words of Isaiah about the Messiah were fulfilled in himself. Let me ask you the question. Whom do you say Jesus is? Today we're going to examine some more case evidence, this time from Luke chapter 4 from our gospel lesson for today. I want to start, and we're going to go through this section by section, I want to start with that opening verse 31 where it says, then he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. Galilee, of course, was that northern section of Israel. And as this particular map indicates, the town of Capernaum is located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke tells us that Jesus went down to Capernaum. Where had he come from? Well, as we heard from last week, he had been in his hometown of Nazareth. You see a little bit to the southwest of there. He had been in Nazareth and had been teaching in the synagogue there, but by the end of that experience, a mob of people were ready to have him thrown over the cliff and killed. Jesus, of course, escaped from them, left that town, and never returned to his hometown again. So much for being welcome at home. But Luke tells us that he left there and he went down to Capernaum. Just a little hint when you're reading in the New Testament and it talks about going up somewhere or down to somewhere, it's literally talking topography. He literally went from Nazareth, which is at a very high elevation, down to the city of Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee sits at about 600 feet below sea level. He went down to Capernaum to the town where Jesus made his home base during the time that he was up in Galilee. Capernaum becomes a very important place for him. He went there on the Sabbath day. 
the day of rest, the seventh day, we would call it Saturday, the day of worship. And he went into the synagogue, Luke tells us, in order to begin teaching the people there. Now the story continues. And this is where it really gets rather interesting. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. I don't know if I can read this quite as well as Pastor Bill did a few moments ago. He really did that with a lot of energy. Ha, the demon said. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Yeah, I can well imagine an incident like this. Jesus casting a demon out of a man, the news would indeed spread. By the way, that phrase, the news about him spread in the, in the original language of the Greek, it literally reads, a noise was going out concerning him. A noise was going out concerning him. And the Greek word for noise is echos, echos from which we get our word echo. An echo, if you will, went out from this incident in Capernaum to all the surrounding region. There was quite an echo. A man possessed by an evil spirit had been healed. Jesus had cast out a demon simply by speaking. And by the power of his word, this evil spirit came out of the man and he was healed. And the result, people talked. And an echo went out about what Jesus had done there. Let me ask you, who is this Jesus? What do you say? Now, this is a rather interesting incident. Jesus casting out a demon. I think we need to talk about this topic a little bit. What about demons? What do we say about them? I want to issue two cautions against two dangers when it comes to this topic. The first danger that we could fall into is denying their existence, denying the existence of devils, evil spirits, demons. The Bible very clearly teaches that they are real. In fact, I'm convinced that Satan wants people to think that he and his evil companions are not real. He wants us to have this sort of modernistic idea that, oh, that's all just mythology and we don't really believe in the the reality of evil spirits, devils, angels. From there, some even conclude we don't even believe in a God. But you see, herein lies the danger. If we come to the conclusion that there really are no evil angels, then all the while... Satan and his companions then are secretly active 
and working to undermine the things of God and to destroy all that is godly and to lead astray all who would follow the Lord. For they are indeed real. Demons, the devil, evil spirits, what are they? Well, to be clear, they originally were angels that God had created to serve him. Angels who then rebelled against God and went their own evil way, led by the chief among them, Satan. They are indeed very real. As St. Paul writes about in his letter to the Ephesians, he makes it very clear that this is no mythology. This is no laughing matter. This is serious stuff. He writes to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ultimately, it's not against people. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And it goes on to talk about putting on the full armor of God to defend against the evil ones. And so the first danger, you see, is to deny that they exist. That allows them to work secretly and in ways that uh, undermine all the good things of God. But now there's another danger that we also want to be aware of. And that is, on the opposite side, having an unhealthy interest in evil angels and devils and demons and evil spirits, having an unhealthy interest in these things. I want to just address parents and I guess grandparents too who have young impressionable children around. It's somewhat easy for our youth to get enticed into things that seem innocent on the surface but are actually gateways into the occult world. And so be aware of those gateways, things like Ouija boards, tarot cards, seeking out mediums for advice about the future or information about the dead. All of this is a part of the world of the occult, And God would have us have nothing to do with that kind of activity. So be cautious against having an unhealthy interest in evil spirits, but at the same time recognize they are real. The story goes on. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Interesting part of the story here. It talks about Simon. This is the same man who later on would be given another name by Jesus, Peter. Simon Peter. And we understand from this text that Simon was married. He had a mother-in-law, so he had a wife. He was married, and they had their home there in Capernaum. An early church father known as Clement of Alexandria wrote about information concerning Peter and his family. Clement tells us that Peter and his wife had children. 
that one of their daughters was paralyzed and that when Peter's wife was being led to her death as a martyr for the faith, Peter encouraged her by telling her to remember the Lord. Interesting information from Clement of Alexandria about this hero of the faith. Well, as we see in the text, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. I think it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of this miracle that Jesus does with Peter's mother-in-law, but only Luke mentions that she has a high fever. Why would Luke mention that? He's a physician. He would take note of that. And it's not just a small fever, it's a high fever, he says, a serious fever, a life-threatening thing. And then we see what Jesus does. He speaks. And by the power of his word, she was immediately healed. It didn't take a while. Immediately she was healed and got up and started serving them. The story continues with verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Let me pause there for a moment. It says, when the sun was setting. This is all the same day, Sabbath day. This was a very long day for Jesus. When the sun was setting. Now, you may recall that in Jewish culture, a day is measured from sunset to sunset. That's one day, sunset to sunset. And the Sabbath ended at the setting of the sun. During the Sabbath day, you weren't supposed to do extra work. It was a day of rest. You weren't supposed to carry, for example, your ill relatives to have them be brought to be healed. So they waited till the very end of the day, and it says when the sun was setting, boy, then they were eager, and they're all bringing their sick relatives and friends to Jesus that he might heal them. You can just see the crowd with their excitement. Having heard what Jesus was able to do, they bring their friends and relatives that he might heal them. And he laid his hands on each one and healed them. And then it says, moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ or the Messiah. Something interesting here about this part of the story. Take note. Even the demons know who Jesus really is. Isn't that interesting? Even the demons know who he is. They knew he was the son of God. They knew he was the promised Messiah, the Christ. And the devil himself knows exactly who Jesus is. People may say, I don't believe in God. Well, guess what? The devil believes in God because he knows he's already been defeated and he's trying to do everything he can to destroy the things of God while there's still time. But make no mistake, Satan and the demons know who Jesus is. Jesus' brother James in his letter, chapter 2, verse 19, said, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They knew who Jesus was. But there, in Capernaum, look what Jesus did. He rebuked those demons and would not let them speak any further. Why? 
because Jesus had his own timing and his own plan for when and how he would be revealed as the Messiah. And he wasn't about to let demons interfere with his plan and with the plan of his heavenly father. It was all going to go the right way. Now we come to the final part of the story. And in this last section, we learn something else about Jesus, something that's rather significant. It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. First of all, take note of what Jesus did the next morning. After dealing with all these crowds, after a very long, intense day, he gets up at sunset, at sunrise, at the daybreak, and he goes off by himself and he prays. Jesus practiced solitude. He practiced prayer. Mark tells us in his account that he was praying to his heavenly father. What about you? Do you practice solitude? I encourage you to set aside some time daily to get away from the busyness of life and to pray. To have some quiet time with your God where you can bring the concerns of your heart to a Lord who loves you and is eager to hear what you have to say and is eager to bring his grace to bear on your situation. But now we see in these final verses probably what is the most significant thing about Jesus. We learn of his primary mission. That is, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. The primary reason for Jesus coming into the world was to proclaim a good news message about the grace of God, to bring the forgiving love of God into the lives of broken people. His main interest was that people would understand that forgiving grace and experience eternal life, a life that begins right here and now, knowing that I'm going to live forever through my faith in Jesus who loves me. That's what his primary mission was all about. That becomes evident in, in a story that happens a little bit later because later on, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers out into the various uh, villages around and, and, to, and instructs them to carry out the ministry, preach the word, heal the sick, and so on, cast out demons. And when those 72 returned, Luke tells us, they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And how did Jesus respond to them? He said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what mattered most to him. More than anything, friends, Jesus wants us to experience the forgiving grace of God. 
even though we might not be possessed by evil spirits, the fact is, I think you know this all, all too well as I do, that sin, sin can take possession of our hearts. It can take possession of our minds. It can take possession of our lives if we allow it. And that can take various forms. Maybe it's holding hatred against a person or persons. Maybe it's prejudice or discrimination that we can't let go of. Maybe it's bitterness in our heart over some harm that was brought to us and and we just can't let go of our anger. Maybe it's a lust that has gotten a hold of our mind and our soul and we can't seem to get rid of it. Maybe it's dishonesty that leads us down a dangerous path. Or maybe it's addictions of various types that we can't seem to get free from. Let me ask, what is possessing you? What is preventing you from experiencing real joy? The kind of joy that God alone can give. Well, true freedom is not found in anything of this world. True freedom is found in the one who gave his life for you. True freedom is found in Jesus, your Savior, who died in your place, took the punishment for your sins and mine, and sets us free as he forgives us of all of that. There at the cross, Jesus offers us the ultimate healing. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and real peace. Let me ask, who is Jesus to you? If there's anyone here who would like to talk further about this privately, Pastor Bill, Pastor Jeremy, or I are more than happy to sit and talk with you, and it will be absolutely confidential but we would love to have the opportunity to bring God's love and grace to bear on whatever it is you're struggling with because the greatest gift we can receive is the freedom that comes in God's gracious forgiveness and love. More than than anything, Jesus wants you to experience the forgiveness and grace that he alone can give so that Finally, you and I can rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. At this time, we gather the offerings for the Lord's work. Uh, Would you also please write your name and other information in the black registration booklet in the pew and pass that to your neighbor, please. What a beautiful
I'm your phone.